Welcome back to the Adventist City Ministries podcast. My name's Andrew. I'm Jeff. And I'm Bob. Hey, Bob. How you doing? I'm doing well, Andrew. Good. Can you open up with a word of prayer for us today? I, I certainly can. Father, we thank you so much for the privilege of opening your word. And we pray now as we look into the things in this chapter of Daniel that we will have an understanding of you uh, that will enrich our lives. Um, and that by doing so, we may be, share, may be able to share that with others more clearly. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Yeah, so today we're going to look at Daniel chapter 3, about the image of gold and the three Hebrew boys in the furnace. So I'm going to start in Daniel chapter 3, verse 1 in the New King James Version. Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and width of 6 cubits. He set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon, and King Nebuchadnezzar sent word to and King Nebuchadnezzar sent word to gather together the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all of the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered together for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a herald cried aloud, To you it is commanded, to you it is commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, psaltery, in symphony, with all kinds of music, you shall fall down and worship the gold image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. So at that time, when all the people had heard the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, in symphony, with all kinds of music, all the people, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the gold image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and accused the Jews. They spoke and said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery in symphony with all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the gold image. Whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not paid due regard to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold image which you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and fury, gave the command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the gold image which I have set up? Now if you are ready at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and sultry, in symphony with all kinds of music, and you fall down and worship the image which I have made, good. But if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury, and the expression of his face changed towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He spoke and commanded that they heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. And he commanded certain mighty men of valor who were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their coats, their trousers, their turbans, and their other garments, and were cast in the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's command was so urgent, 
and the furnace exceedingly hot. The flame of the fire killed those men whom took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down bound into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king, look, he answered, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Then Nebuchadnezzar went near the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spoke, saying, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came from the midst of the fire. And the satraps, administrators, governors, and king's counselors gathered together, and they saw these men on whose bodies the fire had no power. The hair on their head was not singed, nor were their garments affected, and the smell of fire was not on them. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him. And they have frustrated the king's word and yielded their bodies that they should not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree that any people, nation, or language which speaks anything amiss against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces, and their house shall be made an ash heap, because there is no other god who can deliver like this. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. So yeah, this is one of those stories that's quite epic. You know, you've got this huge cast of characters. There's all these people around. They're gathered to worship this golden image, this idol that Nebuchadnezzar has made. And only three people actually stand up for God. Everybody's like, oh, I guess I got to bow down. And oh, my shoe's untied. <laughs> yeah, yeah, every person is, is, is there, so to speak. Like it, we can all relate to somebody in the crowd or somebody who stands or somebody who's with Nebuchadnezzar. So every, every person that we know is somewhere in that group. And I think, I, I think, you know, before we actually consider why, you know, why somebody would do that, to, 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 to think about the circumstances here, because it's clear from verse one that, um, you know, Nebuchadnezzar has, has uh, had a, had a change of mind, um, uh, we discovered in our last discussion that he had, had had this dream in which he saw an image that was made of uh, different metals, and he was he was it was revealed to him that the the gold part of that image, the head, was a representation of who he was. And now here he has gone about the task of making a complete image out of gold. I think that's a statement. Yeah, I mean, you can kind of see the narcissist that he is. Like, God's telling him, I'm sorry, but your kingdom will eventually end. And then he's kicking against the prick saying, no, no, it's got to be my way. It's my kingdom's not going to end. It's going to go on as long as I can stand it. And I I think from a historical perspective, we understand that when Nebuchadnezzar went and intervened in Judah, it, what, that wasn't the end of it. What, the, the first time he went there, it wasn't the end of it. He had to come back two other times because of rebellion. Um, so you can understand from his perspective, like, you know, I don't want to be putting down these rebellions all the time. I don't, I'm going to make a statement here that, you know, <laughs> this, this is it. Yeah, this is a, he, he didn't create a small monument to himself here. This is a, you know, a 90-foot monument made out of gold. And so this is his, it seems like his ego is as big as the image that he created uh, here on the plains of Dura. And his expectations are such that he expects everybody to bow in allegiance to this thing he's created. So this is quite a guy, Nebuchadnezzar, who's had this incredible, this great revelation of God 
in, from chapter two, but, but kind of has had a little bit of a relapse in terms of his understanding of who God is, uh, kind of faded a little bit. And now he's kind of seeing himself, setting himself up as God again. And uh, this is a repeating pattern that we'll see in his life as we continue in, the, in Daniel. There's something curious about that image, though, isn't there? Um, Daniel records the image, but he only gives us two dimensions on it. Uh, it's every three, every three-dimensional object obviously has to have three dimensions. But he says it's sixty cubits tall and six cubits wide, and we have no really measurement for depth on it. I know it's kind of speculative, but if 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 it was a square base, that would give us three sixes. <laughs> yeah. So there's some biblical significance to that. Which, yeah, it turns out to be pretty significant because in we know that the book of Daniel plays an important role in our understanding of the book of Revelation. In Revelation 13, we have an image as well associated with three sixes. Yeah, and we can, we can delve into that a little bit more. But let's, for now, let's just uh, move on and see what happens here because there's some, you know... It, interesting things that occur here. The story in itself is wonderful, but also along the way, we need to take into account, like, what does this mean to us today in terms of how, how can we relate to, to this story? Are we one of the people, I mean, are you one of the people in the crowd? Are you one of Nebuchadnezzar's guys? Are you one of the three Hebrew worthies? Uh, and what are you thinking in that situation? Those are interesting questions to ask. I think everybody who wasn't Nebuchadnezzar was probably scared. Right. And there's that bit of apprehension because here you see this powerful king, you know, probably traipsing around in his chariot and gesturing these large things as he's spouting these words and demanding these things. So you'd be a little intimidated with all his wealth and political power. So it's pretty clear then from, you know, the next couple of verses that Nebuchadnezzar is, is gathering the important leaders from all across his, his empire um, to bring them together for uh, a essentially to consolidate his power and to, to make sure that everybody's on the same page as he is and knows he know, knows that he is the head honcho here. Right. Well, if, if all of his administrators and the people that are overseeing all of his other lands, because you know, the way that they would sometimes do it is that they would, they would have a local leader oversee the place that they've conquered so that it's easier to assimilate them into the, the culture. And so it's easier for, it'd be easier for the, the overruling kingdom to, you know, oversee things. So you, but you have all these administrators and they're there and they're hearing him say, if you don't pledge allegiance to me and you're not overseeing your, your little slice of Babylon appropriately, then, you know, off with your head kind of a situation. And so that's a lot of, that's a lot of pressure on all those people. And Hey, I don't want to screw up here. And I would say presumptively that uh, they weren't the only three Jews on the plain of Dura. So in other words, they weren't the only ones who were representing the God of heaven uh, standing in front of this image uh, because probably the King was there certainly and others that he had set up to uh, oversee that province were probably uh, uh, also worshipers of Jehovah God. And so this, you know, I, for some people, like we can, if, as we apply it to ourselves and we're today, we're kind of Babylon is surrounding us today and, and uh, we can, and, and we make some parallels to what 
the Jews were experiencing there were Christians today with the same Babylonian sort of influence in the world today. And so we can look at that experience and say, I can relate to some of what they, what they were going through is the question is, can I stand, will I stand or will I kneel before Babylon? That's the question for each one of us today as we uh, look at this story. So the, the first thing that happens then after everybody gathers is, is the moment of truth. The, uh, the herald cries out, right? Uh, the music plays. It was quite an orchestra that was assembled. And, and everybody was to bow as they heard it through verse 5. The um, consequences are whoever doesn't do it is going to be immediately thrown into the fiery furnace. Right. And it's actually another, um, it's, it's another parallel to what, what we had mentioned in Revelation, that you have a, essentially a compelled worship on pain of death to an image. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting that each of, uh, remember we looked at the, the, the image in chapter two, and we don't have time to go through each of them, but each of these uh, nations represented had their ways of getting rid of people. And uh, this comes up later on in the scriptures that fire, the furnace was one of the favorites of Babylon. Um, of course, we know what the Romans' favorite was, was the cross. And uh, so we can see that there's all sorts of ways that the devil chooses to go about harming or, or killing the people of God. So um, I think for me, this moment of truth that they have is... Uh, kind of important to look at in terms of uh, if, you, if you're going to be living today as a Christian, that you just, we just got to know that trials are going to come, right? They're going to come to us because of what Satan or Babylon is doing in the world. And they're going to be significant trials of life and death significance. It's going to happen because that's how people think, you know, that you need to give me something in order for this to work out. You know, people... The world demands something right. that you give, that you give without, without the expectation that they'll, that they'll reciprocate and give in return. And it's no different here because King Nebuchadnezzar is demanding, demanding, and that's not how the kingdom of, of God works. You know, he gives without uh, forcing us or coercing us into uh, a situation to worship him and to, to give him allegiance. And Bob, you've spoken to this before, that, that uh, this is a principle of the devil, yeah, it's it's it, it it's antithetical to actually what what the what the way God um, works His universe, and because the most precious thing that He has given us as human beings is the the ability to make choices, and compulsion is always um, uh, something that's not associated with God, but is, rather is associated with His great foe Satan. Um, he would always compel us if, if we saw like. In our last in our last discussion, that when seduction fails, this is his next choice. So this is forced compliance to his will, and uh, we can see it as Nebuchadnezzar, but this is really Satan behind the scenes, right? It's forced compliance to his will, and the desire of the forced compliance is worship me. That's the desire, and that's always been the desire, right? Is is that Satan is seeking the worship that only God really deserves, and it just plays out in this story. It's the human condition to demand and search for control, and, and Nebuchadnezzar falls right into that, that pit. So what's interesting is, is, okay, the horns blow, the flutes play, the cymbals clash, and there's 
everybody bows down, but three three lone figures out there. Now, a lot of people at this point want to ask, like, well, where was Daniel? You know, because he would have been would have been four. But frankly, we just don't know, and it's not, it's really irrelevant to the story. He could have been off doing some some of the king business somewhere or whatever. Mm-hmm. But Daniel's friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, don't bow down. And what's somewhat astonishing is the, the, the people who bring this to the, the, the king's attention are actually the, the same guys whose lives were saved through the intervention of Daniel and his friends when the king had had the dream. It sounds like they're still jealous because <laughs> they didn't get to give the interpretation. And- right. Not only because it, but remember that at the end of chapter two, the king had rewarded Daniel and Daniel asked, for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to be promoted to oversee the affairs of ba- of Babylon itself. There's a lot of petty jealousy going on in spite of the fact that their very lives have been spared by the, the, the intercession of these young men. Yeah, I think we identified these people before because this is a different group than the, the satraps and the judges. This is These are the religious people. Those are the civil yeah, the Chaldeans. organization people. So this is the Chaldeans. These are the religious people that are the ones who are coming along. It's not like, you know, the, the magistrates who were in the crowd said, Hey, why aren't those three Jews? Cause they were there from a civil responsibility, so to speak in the kingdom of, of, of Nebuchadnezzar. But it's the religious folk that come and say, point out that these, and you're probably right. They're probably still, this is shortly after. So there's probably still a lot of jealousy going on. But it's, again, it's another lesson that we can learn uh, in our practical application to today. And that is, is that if we stand up for truth and we take a firm stand, the worst opposition to that is not going to come from the world, so to speak. It's going to come internally. And we can see that in the New Testament with Jesus and with others. From those who say that they're religious and that they're following a certain law. So, So we can have that expectation, you know, as we stand up for the gospel of Jesus Christ, that a lot of the criticism, a lot of the um, pain that we will suffer will come from within. Just, just know that. Yeah. Some, some of Paul's harshest critics were his fellow Jews. Everybody thinks that they have an understanding and, and uh, we get, there's a lot of um, spiritual pride that goes on in the world. I think of like, you just did a big study and are continuing on the book of Job and he had the same experience. Yes. Very similar. Yeah. Okay, so now the accusation comes, and uh, they they start to talk about these certain Jews who who've been given authority, and and of course Nebuchadnezzar's reaction is rage and fury. Yeah, their accusation that you can break it down into three parts, right? It's uh, first off they say. They, they almost kind of blame Nebuchadnezzar a little bit for they what's do. going on. Yeah. So it's like, uh, there are certain Jews that you have set, Nebuchadnezzar, you set them over the uh, affairs of, ba- of, of uh, Babylon. By the way, that was Daniel that recommended that, wasn't mm-hmm. it? The first implication is that Nebuchadnezzar has made a mistake in his choice here. He needs to choose other people. The second thing they say is, these men, O king, have paid you no regard. That is to say, they, they're, they're accusing um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego of, of being um, disrespectful, of, being, of, of demonstrating ingratitude and disloyalty to, to the very person who has been their kind of their champion and their, the, the one who has, has done so much for them and given them this good education and everything that they have. 
And then the third thing is, it says you, they do not serve your gods nor worship the gold image which you have set up. In other words, they're in direct violation, King, of your word, of your command. So it's, it's some pretty, pretty heavy. It's a pretty heavy accusation, and it's it, it not only uh, uh, is an accusation of against the Hebrews, but it's also in, implicitly there's an accusation against Daniel in there because he's the one who's recommended him for this job. Yeah, and it's interesting the way they put it. They have not they have not given you due regard, right? Uh, that you deserve. Um, they're almost they're, there's almost the the. The, this implicit thing in that, that when they say then they're not worshiping the image, they're saying what you, what you deserve is worship. Mm-hmm. Okay. And they're not doing it. You know? <laughs> they're really stroking his ego. They are. It's like, oh, it's so bad. These men, they're just not respecting you. They're totally disregarding what you've set up. I'm sorry, King, that you've been treated this way. Oh, right. poor little Nebuchadnezzar. And we can see this is his issue. This is Nebuchadnezzar's issue. We'll see it later on. It'll arise again as he's, he is, he is prideful. He, you know, and he wants to be known as the the head of gold, Mm -hmm. but now he wants to be known as the whole thing. And he really, I mean, the whole nation considers him a God. I mean, that's part of their religious uh, notion. And he, it sounds like in this story, like he's thinking of himself that way as well. Well, yeah, or at least he's he's trying to establish his his sovereignty, right? But Nebuchadnezzar is no fool; he's not a fool. Um, it, it, it's it's interesting that he actually gives these guys a second chance. He he calls them in and he you know he says, "Hey, maybe you didn't understand. You know, let's go through this again." I'm going to knit you bow down. That, 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 to me, that's interesting. And then later on it says when, when they refuse that, that, that his, his, his face changed against them. I think Nebuchadnezzar, because of who they were, I'm sure that these fellows were doing a great job in, in, their, in, their, in their administrative duties. And, mm-hmm. and Nebuchadnezzar is, is, it doesn't take lightly to the idea like we just got to eliminate him. So he's giving him a second chance. Here because I think he has a, a certain appreciation for who they are. Yeah, and I think just to, another thing to think about is, as we've been talking about Nebuchadnezzar quite a bit here, but it was this moment of truth that these three guys are going through right here is that, I mean, if you can just, in terms of imagery in your brain, think about this moment on the plane with uh, thousands of people before a 90-foot gold idol and right you hear the music play and you know that's the cue okay i've talked before many many people before and it was nerve-wracking and i don't think it was any different for for these guys because you know must be thousands of of people gathered here to to come see what nebuchadnezzar is doing and and in this case it's this is a life or death choice do i slide to my knees or do i stand up for God. This is not something we're capable of, by the way. I, I, there's, there's no way that we're capable of making a yeah. decision like there's this. There's no way to prepare for this kind of no. thing. But every, everybody, I believe everybody will be called to a moment of truth, such as this, that, that loves the Lord. You know, there's a, sooner or later, we're going to have to make a choice and it's going to be a choice that's made where people can see it. Exactly. Because not only were they showing what God could do to Nebuchadnezzar, but all these thousands of 
civil leaders, all these people in leadership, what God was able to do. No, I, I love that. I love that because of imagine, see, if this had happened in an isolated sort of a bubble where, you know, they brought in one group at a time to, uh, to, to go through this experience, then it wouldn't have had the uh, sort of impact that it had right. because the story leaving the plane of Dura throughout the world now is these three guys who believed in Jehovah God refused to kneel. Well, well, that really brings us to to the central point uh, of what's going on here, because up to this point, we're at, we're really looking at this from the perspective of of you know Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and what they must have been experienced. But the real question is, what is God trying to accomplish right. here? Because God is has a plan. This isn't this isn't something that's happening in a vacuum for God. Right. He knows exactly what's going to be going on. He knows exactly what's what's going down here, and it's this moment that he has chosen now to make another compelling case for himself to the, to the king of, uh, uh, of Babylon. That's, that's, that's why the, this next part of the story, this, uh, these few verses here between 13 and, uh, and verse uh, 15 are so important. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and fury, gave command to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they brought these men before the king, Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying to them, it's, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the gold image which I have set up? Now, if you are ready, at the time you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, and the psaltery and symphony with all kinds of music, you will, and you fall down and worship the image which I have made, good. In other words, good. Just let's get this clear. This is what I, it's, it's, it's a simple thing I'm asking of you. I'm making it really easy. Just make it, I just need this one thing from you guys. Right. Mm -hmm. But if you do not worship, you shall be cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. And here's the key. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? As if he didn't believe them the first time and. No, he's, he's going through the same thing that he did in chapter two. He had a dream that he couldn't remember. And then here comes these guys, here comes Daniel saying, Hey, I remember what you couldn't. And now you're saying, Oh yeah, that is exactly what I forgot that I dreamed about. So in chapter two, we saw a revelation of God's omniscience. He's an all knowing God, one who could see the future. But but in Nebuchadnezzar, and you can't really fault him for this, because up until this way, he's pretty much had his way with the Jews. I mean, the, the Jerusalem fell. He's gone back a couple okay. times, destroyed the city, destroyed the temple. So, so it may be a God that knows a lot, but is he a God that's powerful enough? That's the next question. Is he, is he an omnipotent God? That's the question. Who is the God that can deliver you out of my hands? I've had my way with you guys up until this point. And that's, that's, that's what God is about to reveal uh, to this pagan king, that the Jehovah God is not only omniscient, but he is omnipotent as well. Yeah, I find it intriguing that in uh, both circumstances of chapter 2 and chapter 3, that while it's God who's revealing himself, he does it through individuals. Uh, in other words, he's, de- he's depending on his church to reveal who he is 
And in this case, I the reason I like it, the fact that this is like in Daniel chapter two, it's an individual kind of story, even though they participated. Here we sort of have the corporate notion of at least three people where two or three are gathered, you know, that that uh, God is look, looking and saying, okay, corporately, I'm going to reveal myself to you and this is what's going to happen. And in this moment, he's calling for faith. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is. And, and Shadrach and Meshach now make, and Abednego make one of the great faith statements that you can find in the Bible. Right. It is pretty amazing. Yeah. When he says that we will not serve your gods or worship this golden image, I, I can imagine in, in, in a way that that's like a slap in the face for Nebuchadnezzar because he's given them all these things, even to the point where in the earlier chapters, we see that they're actually renamed in honor of, you know, Nebuchadnezzar's gods. And they say, no, that's not who we are. And as we see, that makes Nebuchadnezzar furious. Yeah. I like their statement too, in verse 16 and 17, um, where they say, look, we really don't need to, to answer you, King. You know, in other words, he's saying, it's like, you know, you know what the answer to this is. There's no need for us to answer that question. If, if it's, it's always a God thing with these guys. And, and so they say, if, 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 it, if it's God's will, he can deliver. So you see the question to the question that Nebuchadnezzar asks, who's, who can deliver you to him is actually rhetorical. But the, but the three Hebrews have an answer for it. And their answer is, look, God can deliver us. He can deliver us. And if he chooses not to, you know what? That's okay with us too. But let me tell you, he can deliver us if he wants. So Nebuchadnezzar is really ticked off by this. Yeah, it's, and that's a, sort of, a, a, I keep echoing back to the experience of, 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 of people of today. Is, is when you do stand up for, for Jesus Christ, when you, when you, through the Holy Spirit, you make a stand the devil really gets mad right? because it's the only thing that can reveal God in the world. And so he will, you know, you can just expect that to happen. And so the idea of making the fire hotter, I don't know. I think maybe some folks out there can relate to this. If they're Christians, they can relate to when you decide to make a stand for Christ uh, instead of things looking rosier, sometimes the heat turns up a little bit. I can think of a particular instance, especially within the construct of thinking that we need to do things in order to deserve God's love and, and salvation. Or if, if we think that we can add to our salvation in mm-hmm. any way, you know, we have, there are groups of people who treat God's law like that, who treat God's word like that. And when you stand up against that and say, hey, no, God's grace allows me to live out the law, but not with the expectation that I earn anything, but that I'm actually free now to grow. And that means God allows me to make mistakes. And, and that can actually take some people off because, Hey, this is what they've come to know and the way that uh, they have lived their life. And it's the system that they've built their belief on that, Hey, well, no, if you want to be right with God, then you have to do everything perfectly. And exactly as he says, when they see that you're attacking that, you know, they're, we feel that, oh, this person's attacking us and they're attacking my lifestyle and what I've stood for. And so they don't see it as a, as a correction, as something to somebody will, somebody will see that as attack, an attack on their faith and, and this belief system that they've kind of grown up in. 
And this is serious here. What they're doing is serious for the economy of Babylon, right? Because everybody's looking around and saying, this is just the way it is, right? We, whatever Nebuchadnezzar says, we do, because that's how Babylon works. And you have these three influential people. Remember, they were given influential jobs. These three influential people coming along and saying, well, not when it comes to matters of faith. It's not, this is different and we, we have to take a stand. Yeah, and, and, and I think it's important for us to, to, to think about it or at least drill down a little bit. Well, you know, what is it, why, how is it that they could make such a statement? What is it that gave them, gave them the, the ability to do that? And I think it, it, it's, it's the principle of assurance. In other words, they do not fear death. And the reason they don't fear death is because their security is in, is in the God that they know. They, exactly. they know that God has their forever already planned and, and, and that it's secure in him. So, so, so go ahead, Nebuchadnezzar, do you take your best shot. It doesn't matter to us. They understand that. Nebuchadnezzar, this is not how God treats people. He doesn't say that, oh, I'm going to kill you if you don't follow me. Right. And so they know exactly, hey, you can't get these people to follow you by... If you really want people to be loyal to you, you then you treat them with kindness and respect and you create room for them to grow and move and you're not allowing this. You're not being like God in any way. Right. And and I think I think it kind of blends into what you were saying Andrew is that some people get upset sometimes if you undermine the idea that they can't contribute to their own salvation. It undermines some of their assurance which is, which is indicative of the the fact that they they they're not fully trusting in the merits of Jesus. In, in the case of these three men they're 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 totally fine with even even with the the idea of dying because they they're sure that God has has their their future secured and the Chaldeans are whispering in Nebuchadnezzar's ear like these guys are going against your system you can't have that we got to we got to set things right <laughs> yeah in terms of uh, if this was a new testament you know explanation the three would stand up and say i've been crucified with christ uh, their lives have already been laid aside in every aspect. It's not that I'm living, but it's Christ that li- lives in me. And so they really, they, they have that, like you said, assurance to move forward, knowing that they're secure in their God. But that doesn't mean they don't have to go through the furnace, does no, it? No, it doesn't. I mean, they, they still got to go in there. And it's no accident that it's a fiery furnace, right. not in my mind, because, you know, the, the, there's something so significant about fire in the Bible. It, it, it serves two functions. It either, it either purifies or it destroys. Mm-hmm. And in the case of, of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we see that the fire actually does both of those things. It purifies and destroys. And if the fire is significant to the Babylonian culture in terms of, oh, this is the most powerful thing that we know of that can destroy somebody, and here are these three Hebrew boys representing God, and they've overcome that, that's saying a lot about the power of God and his omnipotence. Right. But I'm, I'm thinking about it a little bit more symbolically in that, in that um, as the story then proceeds, they're thrown into the fire. First, they're bound up, right? After Nebuchadnezzar has heated the, the uh, fire seven times and they're thrown in. It's so hot that, that the guys who are, are, were selected to throw them in actually perish from, from, the, from the deed that they had to perform. And, and then there's this big revelation. You know, Nebuch- it says actually Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, right? When they're, they're taken out, the only thing that's been consumed 
in the fire is the bonds that Babylon had placed upon them. To me, that's so significant because uh, sin has bound us in this world. Satan, he tries to tries to tie us up with all kinds of 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 issues and things and temptations and 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 whatnot and we and we all struggle at different levels but but there is a fire that consumes and that's the holy spirit and it either consumes it either consumes the 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 sin or it can or ultimately it consumes the sinner the fire of god isaiah uh kind of looks ahead in Isaiah 48 to this uh, concept. And he says in verses 10 and 11, behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction for my own sake. For my own sake, I will do it. Um, For how should my name be profaned? And I will not give my glory to another. So God is seeking through these individuals to, for his own sake and his namesake, He's allowing them to go through this purifying process. And on the other side of it, when those ropes are burned off, uh, we see a new creature, a new creation. Yeah, Malachi kind of echoes the same thing in Malachi 4, um, 1 and 2. He says, Behold, the days are coming, burning like an oven, when all the proud, yes, all who do wickedly will be stubble. And the day which is coming shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts. He's actually talking about the second coming here that will leave them neither root or branch. But to you who fear my name, it's the son of righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings. And it's, it's S-U-N, not S-O-N, the son of righteousness. Yes, yeah, so you have two, two references to, to fire here. One, one that burns up every, the, the wicked to stubble, but to, to, to the righteous, it's, it's healing. It's, it's, it's the it's sun rising on a new day. And so, and so we see the same thing here, the same kind of uh, idea in this story of the three Hebrews that, that it, it's God's intent not only to, to give us the assurance, but also to let us pass through the fire so that the, the, the things of Babylon can be consumed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've all, we all have a little bit of Babylon in us that needs to be consumed in order for us to progress and, and advance in our and our process of sanctification. I like the visual that we get as the story proceeds. And Nebuchadnezzar is astonished, right? And he jumps up and he's, I can see him pointing and all his people around him and saying, Hey, weren't there three people thrown in there? You know? And, and now prompted probably by what they had just revealed to him. Like they revealed the notion of their God to him. And I don't know why else he would make such a statement, but he says, it looks like there's a fourth one walking in the midst of the fire and they're not hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the son of God. Yeah. It's interesting that he, that he would say that you, you wonder if he had some other previous revelation of that, but what we, what we can take uh, from, from, from his statement is that he recognizes that the, the presence of deity yeah, he recognizes, and in this case, he recog- he recognizes God. Yeah, you know, and I guess if you or I encountered God, we'd recognize him too. <laughs> it's in, in, in it's in his reality, and so this is pretty exciting uh, for me. This is an exciting moment too, and that is, is this, as Satan gets angry in these situations, that we can count on the fact that Jesus will be there with us every moment of the way. 
And uh, sometimes it doesn't feel that way. Sometimes we forget that he's with us. But he said, I, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you, right? And yeah. so it doesn't matter how tough the trial gets. Jesus is there. So, so going back to, to the idea of, you know, that God has a plan. And um, obviously his plan here was to reveal something about himself to Nebuchadnezzar. But the Hebrews didn't know that was his plan. <laughs> and you had reference before the story of Job. And it's, it's kind of similar that Job didn't know what was going on no. in heaven and, and what was it? What, what what the challenges that that God was dealing with there and and that's that's always the that's still the case today it's 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 the it's I think it's a good takeaway for all of us is that we don't always understand the why of things and we don't always have to understand the why of things in in the moment but if we know the truth if we understand who God is then we can put our faith in in the fact that He's got it covered, no matter how bleak it may seem to us in, 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 at a particular instance of time. Okay, well, the result is pretty astounding, too, is this that uh, we see they had total deliverance. There wasn't anything on them that was harmed, not even the hair on their head or was singed. Their garments weren't affected. There wasn't even the smell. I mean, this, so this is sort of like a, a statement of complete evidence of God's deliverance, right? It, it, it goes in degrees. The, the, their bodies weren't hurt. The hair on their head was not singed and their garments were affected and there was no even smell. So we see that it, it takes us from the macro to the micro that God had the whole picture covered with them. Yeah. And, and it was a complete 100% uh, saving that God did in this with regards to this. It's like they were never even in the fire. Right. You see how they attributed, the, the guys immediately attributed this, well, this had nothing to do with us. It was that God sent his angel, right? That's how we should respond when God delivers us because he does this today, and maybe not in the same way. As we take a stand in faith, he stands with us and we, on the other side of it, all we can say is it had nothing to do with me. It had everything to do with God. Uh, absolutely. So let's, let, let's, let's just summarize what, what, what God has revealed about himself just in these last few chapters. In chapter 2, we, we learned that in contrast to, to, to Babylon's idea of God, God reveals himself as one who is intimately involved in the affairs of his, of his children, that he's willing to communicate to them, that he's, 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 he wants to be Emmanuel, one with them, and that he's an omniscient God, knowing the end from the beginning, that he has a plan, he sees how, his, how, how history will unfold itself. And then, then in this chapter, we all, we've learned that, that, that God has revealed himself as an omnipotent God who will not abandon his, his people in, in their, their time of tro- trouble and time of trial. That's some heavy-duty stuff for, for Nebuchadnezzar to consider. And yet, as we kind of close out the chapter, we see that he still has some things to learn, doesn't he? Because his, I suppose he thinks he's, he's honoring God by this, but of course it's, it's, it's anything but. When he makes the, the decree that, look, anybody who doesn't worship the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego... Um, is going to be cut to pieces and their houses will be made of ash heap and, and such and so forth, and all the like, bad things. That, that, like that's, that's truly not a picture uh, that God would want to reveal about himself. So he has more to learn. 
And that's yeah, why. But so- sometimes even God can use the words of a, of a king who doesn't, or, you know, or of somebody who doesn't really understand what's going on to make the most profound statement, you know, that the world has ever heard. And that is when he says, there is no other God who can deliver like this. I mean, right. it, it's reminiscent of Romans, you know, where Paul says, oh, wretched man that I am, who can deliver me from this body of sin? And, and we only know, we know the answer. There's only one, it's God. And so in the midst of this, Nebuchadnezzar makes a gospel statement that he knows not of, but right. you know, absolutely. I think that's exciting sometimes. Uh, and it's exciting for us as Christians too. I don't know about you guys, but occasionally I'll preach and I'll think to myself, I had nothing good to say, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and somebody comes up and says, that's exactly what I needed to hear today because mm. God is at work through his Holy spirit and he works in agencies that we know not of a lot of the times, and uh, he, he's still revealing himself today, and it's still through his people, and uh, he's still trying to tell people about who he is and all the specifics of that that we've seen happening here. So next time, we get to uh, look at Nebuchadnezzar's second dream. It's exciting. It's an exciting dream, and it's also an exciting conclusion. All right. Thanks for joining us. Hey, if you have not checked out the Adventist City Ministries website, please go over there and uh, head on over to iTunes. Please give us a review. We would love if you would say a few nice things about us so that other people can kind of see what we're doing over here. And um, yeah, we really appreciate you guys. We just want to thank you so much for listening and uh, a big shout out to all of our listeners all over the world. All right. Till next time, I'm Andrew. I'm Jeff. And I'm Bob. All right. God bless. God bless.